On today's Locked On Thunder podcast, the Oklahoma City Thunder get embarrassed by the Dallas Mavericks and they shake up their roster all coming up on today's show. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and beat writer for InsideTheThunder.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're diving into the Oklahoma City Thunder being embarrassed by the Dallas Mavericks. What went wrong in this game for the Thunder? What went wrong uh, in this game just in general? And uh, and also the, ro- the roster gets shaken up a little bit. So this is a bonus podcast uh, doing it uh, for the sixth time this week, seventh time tomorrow after the Kings game. Uh, drove to Dallas and back today uh, after that game. So um, this might be a shorter episode. We'll see. Every time I say that, though, we usually get to rambling and uh, yapping and it goes long. But the bottom line is against the Mavericks, Multiple things can be true. It can be true that the Thunder have struggled in afternoon games this entire season, that they've struggled in afternoon games for a long time now, that they didn't play good enough defense from a team level to win this game or to even compete, really. They gave up 50 points in the first quarter, nearly 47 to be exact. That's not good enough. It can also be true that Josh Giddy was was not good, but that Josh Giddy was not the only reason why the Thunder were just blown out and embarrassed in this game. So it it doesn't have to just be one thing that that you look at and and kind of cast everything on. The Mavericks hit a lot of tough shots in this game. They also were able to get to their spots with ease. I mean, when you let up, no matter how it's done, whether it's tough shot making or open shots, when you let up 58% from the floor. 39% from three, and then 75% at the line. When you let up 58% at the floor, you're not going to win those games. More more often than not, you're not going to win those games. And the Thunder were dreadful offensively. Uh, You know, 38% from the floor, 36% from three. They just weren't good. They they, they were not good in the paint. They couldn't get into the paint against Dallas, even without Derek Lively. Of course, they uh, actually won the second chance points battle uh, in this game, but uh, they were dominated in fast break. Listen to this fast break. Dallas is is you know cruising thirty three to two. You know that, that that's just not how the Thunder play basketball. That's not their style. Out rebounded by fourteen rebounds. They had a they had a plus two turnover differential, which was uh, good for them. But the Mavericks go wire to wire in this game, and at one point grow a forty one point lead in honor of Dirk. Like there just isn't much to say when you play that way. And you can get into it. Lou Dort was not good offensively. Really, not many were good offensively for the Thunder. Josh Giddy was not good in this game. But as a collective unit, when you play defense, that way you're going to lose. It doesn't really matter what happens on the other end of the floor. But then the other end of the floor did happen, though. So it's kind of a double whammy. The Thunder, first and foremost, have to get better at afternoon games, have to get better at um, preparing for these games and coming out with urgency in these games. 
And I asked Chet, I asked, you know, Shay about what the rhythms and routines are, you know, might be thrown off a little bit. Um, and, and Chet was very candid about, you know, some that, you know, sometimes of course your routine is different. You don't have the whole day to prepare. You don't have the whole day to watch film and all those things are, are either crammed in or skipped entirely. Like the Thunder don't do shoot around, of course, before a two o'clock game and then you don't have time to. So, uh, you know, that, that changes how you prepare for a game and get ready for a game, but they've got to figure that part out. It only happens a couple of times in the regular season, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a couple of times, you know, a handful of times in an 82 game season, but you could run into a playoff series where it happens, you know, two, three times, you know, it, you know, you can see it happen uh, a lot in a playoff series, just depending on how the travel breaks, just depending upon, uh, you know, when the series starts and how many afternoon games there are on the weekends, you know, weekend dates that there are, you can see it happen a lot where pivotal, you know, series shifting games happen before a typical seven o'clock start. So, it's a minor thing right now. You're only going to play a few in the regular season. To this point, they've played three afternoon games. It's not a big sample size. It's not something um, that that is just abhorrent because it could it could just be as simple as a coincidence of of the, they wouldn't have the juice these three nights anyway. They just so happen to be played at two. But uh, it is something that should be monitored and uh, and turned around for Oklahoma City. But you know that all is true. The defense was not good enough. Uh, the offense was not good enough. The energy was not good enough. The urgency was not good enough. The preparation was not good enough. None of it was good enough. And they'll admit that from top to bottom. And it doesn't fall on one person. It doesn't fall on only Josh Giddy. It doesn't fall on only Lou Dort. It doesn't fall on only, uh, you know, whoever you want to point to. As a matter of fact, you can kind of whittle the list down to a few guys who had even good games. I thought Casey Wallace was incredible in this game, uh, provided a real spark defensively, especially for a rookie going up against a very talented offense uh, in Dallas, he, he was really good at contesting and, and just you know bringing some sort of physicality to the defensive end. And then offensively, he was much more assertive of himself into into um, the course of play, which has been something that rookies tend to lack or be behind on, uh, which is just the normal course of being in the NBA. But today, he was really aggressive. Uh, something that you like to see from him. He had 15 uh, points in this game and a couple you know a couple rebounds, and he was just really good. SGA. Like he was slowed down by his standards uh, because he didn't have a 30 point game, but you know, he played less than 30 minutes and he still got to, you know, 25 points on very efficient shooting 56% from the floor. Uh, Besides those two, you know, Lindy Waters was fine in garbage time. Olivier Sarr was fine in garbage time, but this game was just a whole lot of just bad, bad, bad. You know, Chet had 13 and 12, but you know, whenever you let Daniel Gafford look like an all-NBA player, whenever you have a Luka Doncic who's just going to light it up and not miss and and play excellent basketball like you know he can, Kyrie had a really good game. But I mean, whenever whenever Daniel Gafford comes off the bench and he's able to, to, to post, you know, 14 points for P.J. Washington and for Gafford, you know, post, you know, 18 points for him, like those are two guys who literally got off a plane and, and stepped into this locker room, stepped into this court, uh, and were able to make a big impact for Dallas. So that just kind of shows you, the lack of energy, the lack of preparation for Oklahoma City as a whole. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, two things can be true. It can both be that those things weren't well, and then also that Josh Giddy was not good. We're going to talk about him and the rest of the center team coming up. But first, I want to tell you right now about our good friends over at LinkedIn. Check them out today by going to linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA because you can post your, your business you know job opportunity for free at LinkedIn.com. And the reason why I love LinkedIn.com is because 
they make the hiring process so easy. You know, we get it. If you're a small business owner, you're wearing so many different hats. Uh, you know, you've got so many responsibilities. That's why they want to make the hiring process easier for you and save you time and, and get you the resources that you need to make a very qualified hire. And that's why 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. LinkedIn is consistently finding ways to make the process easier. They even have launched a feature that help you write job descriptions and make the process even quicker uh, to get to your qualified candidates. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MBA. That's linkedin.com slash MBA To post your job for free, terms and conditions do apply. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. You know, you you look at this game from Oklahoma City, and it just was not good. And the, a lot of the ire is going to be drawn to Josh Giddy. And rightfully so. Like, it is what it is. You know, it was not a good Josh Giddy game. We can sit here and rehash the same old, same old conversation about Josh Giddy. Uh, and as a five-day week podcast, we do that plenty. We talk about him plenty on this podcast. But whenever your shots aren't falling and they're just leaving you alone on the perimeter, that's obviously going to hurt everyone else on the court. Whenever it's gotten to the point where, you're, where your opponents are looking at you on the perimeter and instead of contesting, they're just kind of waving you off and letting you shoot, that's not great. Defensively, you know, he has limitations, which we you know already have known about his whole career, which is not – a big deal because whenever you know, it is a big deal, but whenever he is locked in and he is engaged, he's able to combat those. Honestly, I mean, you know, whenever he is engaged and he is active defensively, he has a, a good enough frame to be a team defender. Here's the problem with a team defender, though. Um, it, that's great whenever everyone else is playing good defense. When the four other guys are playing good defense, a team defender is fine at the fifth spot. The problem is in games like this, in games like Detroit, in games you know like the Denver home opener, when you're not playing good defense as the other four when they're not playing to their standards and they're not playing um, to their capabilities, of course, the fifth and worst defender on the court is also going to get exposed. That That's not rocket science in this case. The offense is the main concern here. And to flip the Josh Giddy conversation, we know the, you know the limitations of like, even if he, even if he did, um, you know, shoot the ball from three. I just don't believe that that's the difference for Josh Giddy. Because, I mean, you know, three for nine, sure, he had wide open shots and you, and you wish that he would have uh, cashed in on those. But, like, you know, three or four makes is the most you can ask for for Josh Giddy uh, in, in a single game. Because, I mean, that's a lot of makes for anyone, but especially for, like, a non-sharp shooter for Josh Giddy. Defenses are going to continue to live like this and just let, let Josh Giddy have a free nine-point, you know, burst whenever they come. For the, for the benefit of playing for 48 minutes, packing the paint, not allowing the Thunder to drive, not allowing the Thunder to, to, to cut, and not allowing the Thunder to dominate points in the paint as they have throughout the season. So the concern with Josh Giddy for me is the fact that this was a matchup where I believed that he would be able to have success. I even wrote about it. I did send the Thunder.com for Styles points um, on Saturday morning. You look at the Mavericks and they looked like a matchup where Josh Giddy could find a groove because they're simul similar to um, the Raptors in the sense of Josh Giddy should be able to thrive against non-elite rim protectors. He just should. Like He should be able to use that space to, to get to the rim and finish. Now, the, the problem with Josh Giddy has been against Rudy Gobert, against Kristaps Porzingis, against these guys who are elite rim protectors. 
he can't drive into that space and he can't hit threes at a, at a super duper high percentage. Or if he is sitting at a good percentage, it's not enough volume. So like when the volume goes up to like nine attempts, the percentage drops way down. So, you know, he doesn't have enough of that three point threat to, to beat you. It's just, and it's not just trash. This happens with every player going back again. I'll, I'll use it to, to, to kind of compare it. Cause I know that sometimes it can feel isolating to Josh Giddy. You know, last year with Jay will shooting 40% the whole season, nobody defended Jay will on the, on the three point line because okay, he's shooting 40%. He might make one or two a game. You live with it. You know, at most he'll make three. So at most you have nine points uh, for, for the benefit of it, you know, of playing defense, you know, off of him at the perimeter. So it happens to every player, even players who like on their career have good shooting numbers, which Josh Giddy, you know, is no secret doesn't. Uh, but whenever you play a team who does not have that elite shot blocker, because Lively was out and they, they had Gafford, uh, who is a really, really good addition, looked looked awesome with this team. And and, and these pieces are, are fitting great. Now, of course, this was a night where everything went the Mavericks way. So you know, hopefully those additions will look great and they did. Uh, but what's, con- what's concerning the most is that now you're seeing games where even against non-threatening paint presence, Josh still can't get it going. I believe that Josh Giddy is a good basketball player. I believe that Josh Giddy can perform well in the NBA. It's impossible to watch these 50 games and not question if if he can reach his individual potential. We always talk about this from the Thunder side, but his individual potential in Oklahoma City. Now, it's been 50 games. I still believe that we're in the hypothesis point of the scientific process. You shouldn't you shouldn't think that it's all over and that there's no way it works out. You can guess one way or the other. If you think it can work out, if you think it won't work out, you can make that educated hypothesis. But you've still got to go through the scientific process to see if that hypothesis ends up being correct. But it's impossible not to question things right now about Josh D's fit. It's also important to balance it out of this is a guy who's only 21 years old. Who's having to change his entire role for the third straight season in the NBA? Who's been asked to do the most sacrificial stuff of this grouping, right? Of this core. And this is also a roster, though, where SGA is at his best with the ball in his hands. Jalen Williams is the best with this ball in, with the ball in the hands, and theoretically, Josh Giddey's at his best with the ball in his hands. And there's only one basketball. You've got to work all that out. And you know, Rome wasn't built in the day. Even the Heatles didn't didn't get it right their very first season or their very first month or, or their first handful of games. You know, they ended up going to the finals and losing to J.J. Brea, but that's a different conversation. You know, this is something that can take time. And when you're watching the season unfold before your eyes, game in and game out, it can feel it can feel so burdening of watching these mistakes happen. Because the mistakes, you know, or, or the missed threes or or the, the timely misses and the, and the runs when he's on the court and everything. It's a pattern in losses, especially. So then you, you look, you, you start to reflect on the other, you know, 16, 17 losses on the year, and you start saying, well, it's it's kind of the same story. However, they also have you know, 36 wins this season. And he's also had some fla- uh, flashes of, of great games like in Toronto, you know, like against Toronto, I should say, um, in, in double overtime where he was a, a massive part of the win, and, and the Thunder don't get that win without Josh Giddy. Uh, so, I would say that the that the biggest thing to me is put in your hypothesis and frankly 
based upon this season's data points that we're going to judge off of, I could see still being optimistic that things can figure it out. But I can also see if your hypothesis right now is that this cannot work, and that this is not going to be a good fit for either side, for Josh individually or for the team as a whole. I could see either prediction you know, being rationally and well thought out. The discourse has gotten to a point where it's, it's, it's not rational. It's kind of like way too extreme of like either Josh can do no wrong or, or, or Josh is the problem fully. In a game like tonight, Josh Giddy was not the full problem. He was a, he was a part of the problem because, of course, if Josh Giddy went you know eight for nine from three, hypothetically, this game turns on its head. But if Lou Dort goes you know instead of going one for six from three, if he goes you know, three for six from three, and those three those three hits come in the more beginning part of the game to set the tone, right? That that changes things. If the Thunder can play a lick of defense, that changes things. Yes. You know, I mentioned that during the game, Luca hit some very tough shots, especially early on, and that can be deflating, that can be demoralizing, but they also, at times, just walked to where they wanted to go and had little to no resistance. So if the team played better defense, that helps things too. So, you know, you can be in the middle and be correct. It doesn't, you don't have to take any opinion and, and go to the extreme for the sake of going to the extreme. Josh Giddy was a problem today. Dort shooting was a problem today. The lack of defensive effort was a problem today. The fact that the Mavericks couldn't miss was a problem today. It all was a problem. Josh Giddey's problem has been more prevalent you know, throughout the season because the Thunder have a top five defense in the NBA, top five offense in the NBA. So those other things have worked more often than not, whereas Josh Giddey has admitted so that he's played more bad than good this year. And I think that you can get to a point too where it's, you know, the criticism is so loud of Josh Giddy, when in reality, this just might not be a good fit. And that happens in the NBA all the time. But it's been 50 games. And we can get lost in the tree, you know, the forest of the trees, or however that saying goes. And when it ought to fix itself perfectly and mirror up perfectly after 50 games. I know that it gets um, you know, again, living day to day, it gets, you know. Bit, you know, burdening, I guess I could say again, about how he, every one of the teams performing each day. But it's been 50 games, and they've had to adjust to the new roles. They've had to adjust to a new system in the sense of, you know, the same system as a grand granular scheme, but incorporating Chet in the system does change things. So he has different skill sets than than the bigs that you were playing with last year. Uh, Jada taking the step as a creator, um, you know, getting back to his you know, more, more college roots as a creator, and then just as a score for himself you know, creating for himself, much less others, that's a different wrinkle that, that was not there last year. Remember last year, the conversation at this time at the All-Star break was that you were hoping that, that J-Dub could become more aggressive and become more assertive into the offense. So all these things have changed right before our eyes. And again, for Josh Giddy, the, the team itself has changed year over year over year. And, you know, you go back in his basketball life, right? And we're just talking on the court with Josh Giddy. He goes from the NBL to the NBA, that's a massive change. No new country, new rules, new basketball, and new everything, right? Then you go to year two where you go from, you know, you, know, you there was structure in year one. The Thunder have always done a really good job of even in those seasons where they were losing more games than winning. They were very structured and organized. But in year two, you start playing in, in bigger games. You start you start to 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 creep into um, finding your fit next to Shea and J Dub as Shea takes a massive leap. J Dub was still 
um, on par or even behind Giddy last year at times. And, and, and the dynamic was just entirely different to now you've got to incorporate Chet, but you're also incorporating a brand new J-Dub. Like, yes, Josh Giddy and J-Dub did play together all last year, but this is not the same J-Dub as last year. This isn't even the same Shea as last year. This is a more improved version of Shea, even though the stats aren't as glaringly improved the way that J-Dubs are. This is he's a much more improved player, especially as a lead ball handler, as a true point guard. So it all, it all intertwines together. I think it's perfectly fine to have a guess one way or the other. Someone's going to be proven right. Either this is going to work and it's going to get turned around and there's going to be some egg on the face, or the trend is going to continue to go the way it has so far and you know the other side will be vindicated. I have a lot of questions of if this can work or if this will work because you know we've seen it work in small doses. Can it work over a sustained period of time whenever defenses can always revert back to just simply not guarding Josh Giddy? Because even in a seven-game playoff series where you only need to get hot and win four games, the odds of Josh Giddy going, you know, four for, you know, six from three-point land in a playoffs game, it can happen. But the odds of it happening four times in seven games is a calculated risk worth taking right now for the sake of being able to pack the paint and play off of him. So, you know, I am interested to see how they're able to fix the and and force the defenses to change how they're defending Josh Shitty. And there are some wrinkles to do that. Use Josh Shitty as a screener more. Use Josh Shitty as a cutter more. I think that the uh, opening play it was 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 a good idea to have Josh Shitty start in the corner, start to be you know of course ignored in the corner. But Jadab kind of drives to that side and draws out of course the attention of the guy supposed to be guarding Giddy. Giddy cuts behind the action. Jadab hits him. Giddy missed the push shot, but it was a really, really good look. You know, generating more of those opportunities is something that, from a team standpoint, they can do to help Josh Giddy. Because putting him in a role where he's just standing in the corner isn't fair to anyone. It isn't fair to the rest of the roster because it makes their life harder, but it also isn't fair to Josh Giddy either. Because that's just not his game. He's, he's not going to play well in that role. He just isn't. So it's a long-winded way because this is a long-winded conversation to say, I still think the jury is out, but you're getting close to a verdict. There's only a few you know, jurors still deliberating here. But as long as they're deliberating, you can't give a verdict. You know, as long as they are holding out hope and trying to work through the issues, you can't go to the bailiff yet. So... Put the hypothesis in. We all have them. It's very fair to question the fit long term. But also let, let, let the scientific process play out. Let the trial and errors go, which will happen for the next 30 games. As you, as you get to see rotations tweak, as the roster gets shaken up a little bit, which we're going to talk about soon, it'll happen in the postseason. Because some it, to be fair to Josh Giddy, which I think can get lost at times, there are players who just magically start playing better in the playoffs and magically start playing better in big games. Josh Gay, to his credit, had a huge game in New Orleans in a big spot in the play-in. Let's see what happens in a seven-game series. The race to being loud and first 
can oftentimes take away what basketball really is. And oftentimes take away from basketball discourse as a whole. I've made no mistake about what Josh Kiddie's season has been to this point. And I've, I've criticized him on this show today and also on the show in the past. And I think I've been very fair to Josh Kiddie both ways. Against Detroit, I didn't think he deserved a lot of criticism for either playing against Detroit last week. But a lot of people did, and I was kind of on the opposite side of that. Today, he was clearly not good today. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But, you know, earlier this week, we talked about Josh Kiddie. Like it, it, this, this has been a conversation that I feel like I've been very fair upon on each side. And I think that as long as you're keeping it within the bounds of what's happening, it, there is there is room for uh, all types of questions and, and opinions about Josh Kitty, uh, but you still have to keep the context of the big picture. There's nothing more to do, right? The trade deadline's passed. The rest of the season will play out. You're not going to play him zero minutes, but it's also unfair to act as though you know, just because his name's getting called in the in the first five, whenever the lights are off and uh, and it's a party in the pregame, Josh Giddy's playing a career low in minutes right now. Josh Giddy, even you know, with the injuries that they had recently, is still averaging tw- you know twenty five minutes a game, which is by far a career low. Yes, he's still getting introduced as a starter. The Thunder have been able to to bench him down the stretch, and that I think it's easier as Gordon Hayward comes back, you know, comes back from injury and uh, is on the doorstep of returning after the All-Star break. You know, that that will make things easier. And overall, I think the Thunder have shown willingness, the willingness to pivot in-game. Now, in this specific game, you know, the, the, the numbers and, and minutes look out of whack because, you know, Josh Giddey only played 22 minutes, even though he, he was forced to eat the end of that game uh, and play a lot of that fourth quarter whenever the game was already lost. But, like, this game was just purely lost Basically, in the first quarter, they made a couple. The Thunder made a couple runs uh, in the middle quarters, but eventually fell flat uh, in the end. But still, end of the day, we all have our take of what we think will happen with Trash Kitty, but I still think it's fair to everyone involved, the team and the player, to still let it play out and be comfortable letting it play out. Because the the, the sneaky truth is that like this is not a make or break year for the franchise. This is not a make or break year in the postseason. You know, I think that the Thunder are talented enough to get past the first round. And once you get past the first round, anything can happen. You're, you're, at that point, you're, you're now you know, 30 more regular season games and, and possibly seven more. You know, you're, damn, you're dang near 40 games more from here to now than anything can happen to any team. So, um, you know, I think that this season, there's not a ton of pressure to go win a championship. There should be no pressure to go win a championship. You can afford the luxury of working things out and pivoting in a postseason series when you need to, and then reevaluating things in the summer. And I'm all for having those tough conversations in the summer. We've already had them on this show during the season. But it, it can all be true in the sense of it doesn't have to just only be Josh Giddy today that you're, that's drawing your ire. It can be the fact that they didn't come out prepared for an afternoon game again. It can be the fact that they didn't play defense again it can, you know, in an afternoon game. It didn't have the same defensive intensity that they need. It can be the fact that Ludor didn't shoot well either. It can be the fact that you know you, all these other cases of, um, you know, Kenrich Williams w- was not good in this game. Um, you know, it, it can be the fact that they didn't go to Jay Will soon enough, or that uh, you know Usman Jang w- was not good in this game. Although the majority of that came, uh, you know, in garbage time. It, it can be a lot of different things. You know, you know J had a relatively quiet game for his standards. He had nine points in this game uh, in 26 minutes, and he he shot 40 percent from the floor. Like even J did not play up to to, to his par. 
It can all be true. And it is all true. And we'll talk about this game against the Kings um, after it happens. I think that the game against the Kings is interesting. Uh, of For me, the Kings are such a good team and a talented team that I'm not like you know leading the charge of that they have to win this game or they have to show that they're better than this. And so they have to go out there and get a statement win. But they, I think that they do have to, to play a much more competitive game. You can't go get blown out again. Even though the Kings are good, even though the Kings are like an excellent team and they have a lot of talent, they, they, you cannot go get blown out again. Since the Kings are so good, it's, I'm not going to say it's a must-win game and on, on February 12th against a, a team as good as the Kings, but you can't go 0-4 in embarrassing fashion in postseason. And, I'm sorry, in afternoon play. There's just some sort of uh, chutzpah that has to cook, kick in at that point. So I think that this is a big game from the Kings' standpoint. And at the top, the Western Conference race is just incredibly tight. You're four and a half games up of fifth place, so you know you have a pretty nice cushion on home court advantage. However, under a fourth right now, but only a game back of one, and only half a game back of uh, seeds two and three. So it, it's going to be topsy-turvy the rest of the way. So these games start to stack up. And if you can get a win against the Kings, who've been a bit of a thorn in the side for OKC, and then you play Orlando, even though it's on the road, last game before the All-Star break, you know, on paper should should win that game against Orlando, who's a very good young team, uh, and place a Thunder tough. You know, last year, they had a lot of good games last year from Orlando. The, the game with Franz at the at the low, uh, high post, whenever Shea got the contest for the win. It was great. But nonetheless, I digress. You get two wins before All-Star break that can really you know, start to change things for you as you get uh, Gordon Hayward back. Speaking of, let's talk roster shakeups as the Thunder made a few roster moves. This is uh, going to be talked about after we talk about our good friends over at Nissan. Nissan's great. Check out Nissan at shopnissanusa.com. And whenever you do, you're going to be able to get your hands on the 2024 Nissan Rogue, which is the perfect, perfect city drive uh, car. But also, it's great for the great escape because it has the uh, built-in features that you need for your more adventurous side, but also the luxury side uh, with the 12.3 HD touchscreen information system uh, with your Google Assistant, Google Play, Google Maps all already up to date and up there for you. Uh, it's the perfect mid-sized crossover for your next adventure. And then you can also check out the Nissan Pathfinder, which has room up to eight with their expansive cargo capacity uh, and their advanced abilities uh, to kind of convert you back to a 4x4 car. So check it out today uh, with their great horsepower as well. It's 284 horsepower. Uh, 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. And then the 2024 Nissan Armada is great too because it's the picture, um, it's the kind of living picture of what you need from a you know, rugged 4x4 car, but with the everyday luxury of, of the class and that kind of first class like style of an eight-seater uh, that you can really use to, to really class up the place. So check it out today uh, and take uh, the Nissan Rogue with the Nissan Pathfinder or Nissan Armada uh, to get your next big adventure started at shopnissanusa.com. That's nissanusa.com, the shop there uh, at nissanusa.com for your next car. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Listen, it's very hard to do a show after driving uh, six hours. And uh, I think that I've given this pod the same vocal energy as the Thunder played defensively and energized wise. So I do apologize for that. But uh, I think that it's led to some some interesting enough conversations, especially 
whenever we're going to have our seventh pot of the week here in a couple hours after this Kings game. But um, the Thunder did check up their roster, and they they signed Bismack Biombo, who is a six eight big man, but you know he is a big man. His wingspan is huge. Um, you know he's a beefy big, can, especially comparatively uh, to what the Thunder you have. So don't let his his raw height fool you. Uh, he, he is actually a, a big man uh, who can't shoot but can do everything else. I think he's a, I think he's going to be a fine defender, especially as a rim protector in these pinch minutes. Uh, I think that he can rebound the ball really well. It can be a pick and roll roll man very well. Hits in the knucker spot as a safety net very well. He's in transition. Uh, he's on the glass. You know, he will be a change of pace big. I don't think that he's going to be someone who starts or someone who plays heavy rotational minutes or someone who's a, who's a um, consistent part of what the Thunder are doing. But I think that this is the classic player who we talked about all this week leading up to the deadline of putting a tool in your toolbox. Like the, the ability to go to a guy like Biombo is, is going to be vital come playoff time. You'd rather have the option than not. You'd rather be able to do something than just have to be forced to sit on your hands in the postseason. So I think that that's a, that's a really good pickup for Oklahoma City. Uh, of course, it costs no assets other than sending him to the rest of the year. So, so that was really good for Oklahoma City. Uh, also, they converted Lindy Waters to a um, to uh, from a from a two way to a standard contract. It is technically being called a multi year deal again, which is just typical um, of how the Thunder kind of label things. But it's it's the same setup as as um, his last season one was, uh, where there's a team option and they can uh, move on from him after this year, which I'd imagine. They'll handle it the same way they did last year, where they let him play out the season on this standard contract, then they decline his option, uh, and, and they reevaluate things. That's just a guess, but I would imagine that's kind of how it goes. Uh, but the Thunder also made a roster move to now fill a Lindy Waters' spot. They've signed uh, Adam Flagler, who has played really well for the G League in the OKC Blue this season. 12.4 uh, points, 3.4 rebounds, and a stock per game. He shot 44% from the floor, but 40% from three, and 90% at the charity stripe. Really good shooting uh, touch. 43% on catch-and-shoot looks. Here's the big deal. He, he's awesome in transition, and he's really good as a creator for himself and others. Uh, you know, he's really good as a pick-and-roll ball handler uh, to really organize the, the blue offense and, and help them drive and help them uh, just score the basketball. Again, much like Biombo, uh, even more so than Biombo, I should say, the pathway for actual NBA minutes is, is going to be uh, few and far between barring injuries. But if you did go into a pinch where, like, now that you've traded away Michich and traded away you know, Trey Mann, where you're you're down a few ball handlers, he can really help. I, you know, he again he was teammates with Jared Butler on that Baylor team, which who they signed after they converted Lindy Waters last year. Uh, it, same similar vein, like Jared Butler. Yeah, you you liked going to Jared Butler uh, in that Memphis game whenever they sat everybody. You like going to Jared Butler, um, you know, whenever some injuries arose. Well, you only played him six games, and and it was to the tune of twelve minutes per game, which was very much uh, heavy heavy lifting from that last game against Memphis. Uh, last season. So um, you know, I wouldn't expect much from Adam Flagler at the NBA level. He's been an awesome player at the G League level. Um, let's see what happens, but I would not expect him to make a huge impact in the rotation, barring injuries. The thing with Flagler is um, he is one of the best options that if you did run into injuries, he could play your system very well, uh, and, the, and it's more translatable to the NBA one-to-one uh, -one than some of the other uh, blue players who are playing really well right now. So that's where, where the Thunder stand on Adam Flagler. I think that he plays um, you know, more physically, defensively than his size would indicate. So that's helped him kind of bridge the gap defensively. 
Uh, he, he's a really high feel for the game guy, which is going to be massive for the Thunder. And then he can really get hot from three. He's one of these guys who is not like a, you know, he's not built as like a sharpshooter, and he's never going to be confused with a sharpshooter. I would say he's more of a streaky shooter. Where like you could just look up and he's got wow, he's got four for you know four for five, and he's got or six for eight night night from three. Like wow, what what a game from uh, you know Adam Flagler. So I think it's I think that he is one of the better options that you can get on a two way deal uh, because of what he brings to the table. You're not going to you know for example a guy that I love is Caleb McConnell because he has NBA ready defense right now uh, and, and he could play at that level defensively in the NBA and, and play extremely well on that end uh, right now. However, on the offensive end, you're, you're only going to get 28% from three from him. Uh, he's a good cutter. He's, he's a good, he's a good dive man to the rim, but you're not going to use him as a back and roll man, just due to his size. And as a cutter, you have a lot of redundancy there and he'd be apt to be someone who gets left alone on an Island that can't make you pay for it. And so when you're thinking about two way guys, Yes, I think that I think that Caleb McConnell of any player on the blue has the most elite NBA seal. That's his defense. However, being realistic, he's only going to play at most, you know, an eight-minute spurt here and there. And the league is so good and so talented that if you're only hanging your hat on defense, you're going to get scored on. Like even if you're the best defender there is. I, I mean, like Lou Dort, for example, and this is not a good example today because they also had very many bad defense possessions, but Lou Dort, for example, had a possession against Luca where like he he literally just almost shoulder bump Luca. He was contesting it so hard and so well. Um, but Luca still just splashed in a setback three. And that's that's textbook harassing defense where the offense is just better now in the NBA. So my point is, if you're a defender only who cannot provide much offensively, you're going to get scored on anyway, and the drop-off is there. So with Adam Flagler, the benefit to him over a guy like McConnell, who I like more, over a guy like uh, you know uh, KJ Williams, who I like, over a guy like Jemias Ramsey, who I like, would be what he can do offensively within the flow of your system. He's not going to let up too much defensively in terms of the drop-off from him and your other options, but he plays your style of offense better. Jermias Ramsey has made vast improvements with his three-point shot this year, which is really uh, you're starting to change the way that scouts view him, although it's still a tough grind for him to, to do that uh, in the NBA right now. Uh, but his bread and butter is still going to be attacking the rim as a ball-dominant player, and you're not going to have your two-way guy doing that. Uh, Adam Flagler, though, the way that he scores is more repeatable, is more conducive to the Thunder style of play. So that's kind of why I think that they leaned Flagler in all of this. And they've liked Flagler this entire season. Of course, he had some, uh, he had like a weird start to the G, which we can get into on another show. Maybe locked on G needs to happen so we can get all these stories. But uh, he's been playing uh, down the stretch of this year and it's been really good for the Blue. And now we'll see what he can add to the Thunder. Um, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see, you know, when and how much the Thunder want Flagler to be you know, to, to, I should say, to join the team uh, because they, they did have Olivier Saar with them today. They did have Lindy Wars with them today, but Keontae Johnson and Flagler were both in Stockton with the blue. Of course, the Flagler signing, even as of this moment right now, is not official um, by the team. So that, so that also changes the rules and regulations. But if I had to guess, um, the earliest you'd see either Keontae or Flag on the, on the Thunder bench would be Tuesday against Orlando. At that point, um, you know, you might, you might just kind of, um, have them reconvene post all-star break because um, you know, they're coming back from the West coast trip and uh, all that goes into that. So the thunder will also host uh, the, the Sioux falls sky force, I believe is what their uh, mascot is on uh, the 13th. So, you know, you get some more run for them that day. So it'll be interesting to see kind of who they take to Orlando. Anyway, 
That was your Adam Flagler breakdown for those of you that were just dying to have it. Uh, that is the benefit to this podcast is that even on days like today where you're kind of drained from a six-hour road trip, no one else can break down the G like we can here at Locked on Thunder and has this information ready for you off the cuff about guys like Adam Flagler because we put the work in. So it was great uh, to get to go down there, cover a game on the road. It was really fun, actually. Um, you can ask more stories about that if you're interested. I just don't know how many people would be interested in my uh, in my uh, road trip ventures. But if you are, let me know. I'll have plenty of time. Um, talk about the roster shakeup. Talk about the Thunder you know, game against the Mavs. Kings game, going to have a podcast right afterward. We yapped our way to 40 minutes. I can't believe it. I really apologize for that, but it is what it is. So appreciate anyone who's still listening to my voice right now. That is insane of you. Subscribe for free across all podcasting platforms so you never miss an episode, including on YouTube. And hit me up on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. And if you've made it to this very point, say Plaza somewhere. Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles or on YouTube, whatever else. But until tomorrow, be good and be good to one another.